I reminded you that um, I first got to meet him uh, as he was speaking to a conference of athletic directors. And it's really interesting, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot about college football because the coaching carousel goes on. Um, Tim um, pioneered <clears throat> a, um, a way of teaching, especially uh, college athletic teams, by using visual aids to do that. He believes that where a lot of coaches go wrong is that they use PowerPoint even to teach leadership concepts, you know, when, when the students um, aren't in the weight room or aren't on, aren't on the field. And so he uses a lot of visual imagery uh, to try to teach character traits. And so he's, you know, he's called upon by these major football coaches, which you see, you know, kind of changing around. The other interesting thing about him is that um, the University of Tennessee has called and actually interviewed him to be their next football coach. Um, that may be too soon for some of you, but it's, uh, man, what a, what a mess, huh? Interesting. So uh, what, what I'd like to suggest that we do um, is that we hear the remaining mistakes that he talks about that the parents uh, often make. And then we take a pause just a second. He'll review the 12 at the end of his, his uh, narrative here. And I'd like for us just to have an open dialogue about which ones of these you identify with, which ones you feel like you're making. We can do the same. We're, we're constantly making those mistakes ourselves. And then, if depending on how long that discussion goes, we've got one more thing that, that we can share with you. But um, I, I work with a couple of people who are wired differently than I am and they remind me that what you got to do is give people a heads up that we're going to ask open-ended questions and so we're going to ask open-ended questions that's your heads up okay uh, so in just a minute when he finishes we'll ask some open-ended questions but let's let's hear from him on the remaining mistakes that he feels like parents often make mistake number eight we give them what they should earn I mentioned earlier that I feel like we're in a new day, and we parents feel like when we look around us at other parents, we should be giving our children everything they want. And along the way, sometimes we can um, sabotage their maturation. We start producing young adults in their teens or 20s that feel entitled to things because they've always been given to them. My son Jonathan is 23 years old, and a few years ago he was helping a theater arts program in our community do a competition. After it was over, he came to me and said, Dad, you won't believe what these adults did. I said, tell me. He said, well, every student that came through the door, I mean, this is high school, middle school, elementary school, every kid that went through the door got a gold medal hung around their neck just for walking in the door, just for breathing air. They got a gold medal. And then as they competed on the stage, they got more medals for singing, acting, and dancing. The levels of the medals were gold, high gold, and platinum. Gold was the lowest you could get. You could get last place and get a gold medal. And then, if that's not bad enough, the host of the competition stood up at the end and said, on sale in the lobby are more trophies and medals. If your child did not get the medal you had wanted them to get, you can buy them uh, in the lobby. Now, I understand we want our kids to have gold medals and trophies and so forth, but you and I both know that is not even remotely like the world they're about to go in for where their boss is not going to be clapping for them every Friday because they showed up at work on time. So again, we've got to not give them what they should earn. If, if we give them what they, should, what they should earn, we stop 
we reduce their ability to learn to work and wait for things. So I love my friend David. His son Nick was in middle school when the new iPod had just come out. And he said, Dad, I want this iPod. My friend said, how much money you got? He said, well, I don't have enough money for it, but they're going fast. They're going to be gone in a week. My friend did a brilliant thing. He said, Nick, I'm going to buy this iPod to make sure we have it in our home, but I'm going to put it high on a shelf, and you're going to make monthly payments to me from now on until you earn that iPod. Now, it seemed harsh at first, but month by month for the next nine months, Nick made payments as an eighth grade kid. David told me at the end, Nick was so grateful for that iPod, and he learned the art of working and waiting along the way. That's the correction I want to encourage you to make. Mistake number nine, we praise the wrong things. I want to tell you about an experiment that was done at Columbia University by Dr. Carol Dweck, who now is at Stanford. She discovered that 85% of American parents believe it's very important to tell their child, you must be smart, you're a smart kid. And the reason we do that is because we think it's going to give them a little confidence the next time they take a test in school. She had a sneaking suspicion it was backfiring as she watched thousands of kids in New York. And so she did an experiment. She divided two groups of 10-year-old children, gave them both the same test, but at the end of the test, the first group was told, you must be smart. The second group was told, you must have really tried hard. You see, they affirmed effort rather than smarts. In the second round of the experiment, they gave a seventh grade level test, two grades higher, and they said, you don't have to take this one, it's harder. Do you want to? Almost none of the kids in the first group wanted to take the test. The ones that had just been told they were smart didn't want to take it. It's almost like they were thinking, I don't think I'm that smart, actually. I'm going to stop right here with, you're smart. Almost every kid in the second group that had been affirmed for their effort wanted to take the test. In the third round of tests that were given, they gave the same fifth grade level test, and the kids in the first group that had been affirmed for smarts and intelligence did 30% worse. And it was at that point Dr. Dweck drew this conclusion. We discovered that when you affirm variables that are out of their control, you produce a fixed mindset. The kids in the first group did 30% worse on the test. So what she says is to correct the affirmation problem we have in America is we need to affirm variables that are in their control, like honesty or the strategy they used on that math problem, or how well they kept a good attitude when they were cleaning the room, as opposed to smarts or beauty, which are out of their control. Mistake number 10, we value removing all pain. Now again, let me acknowledge, there's no parent that wants any of their children to go through pain. But again, if we think long-term, not short-term, pain's a natural part of the growth process. To really mature well, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we're gonna get some cuts and scrapes and bruises along the way. But alas, we have, we have waged an all-out attack on all pains with meds and painkillers and uh, and we, we find ways to medicate and alleviate almost all the pain in our life. But again, when we remove all pain, we actually remove the ability that they're growing to deal with hardship. Their, their muscles atrophy in that area. I really believe that resilience really is like a muscle. And it's, it's, it grows when it's worked out and it atrophies when, it not, when it's not worked out. And so I believe what we need to do in this particular case is we need to emulate the eagle. I'm not sure if you've ever studied the American eagle, but when an eagle has eaglets, uh, the very first stage of the growth process is that mother eagle builds a very, very large nest, like six feet wide, 
and she'll even pull out the feathers from her own body to line that nest with softness. In other words, stage one is lots of nurture. But along the way, as those eaglets begin to grow, she removes her feathers from the lining of that. She makes it a little more prickly. She realizes they're going to stay forever if I don't. By the way, did you hear that? They're going to stay forever if I don't make this longer. By the next stage, she's actually flapping her wings in the nest, saying, I'm going to push you to the edge of this nest. You're going to get ready to fly. And then by the fourth stage, she's actually pushing them out of the nest, but then swooping under them to catch them as they learn. The point is, very naturally, a mother eagle realizes we nurture it first, but we got to create or at least allow a little pain along the way for them to really mature. And so it is with you and I. Mistake number 11, we do it for them. Now, if you're a good, engaged parent, you probably have been guilty of this just like I have. I consistently meet parents in Starbucks who are sitting at a table drinking a latte but doing the homework of their children for them. Last year, there were three Easter egg hunts that were canceled in communities across the country because the parents were running and getting the eggs for their children and running over some of the younger children out there in the Easter egg hunts. I'm thinking, what is going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on here. It's very well-intentioned parents that are wanting to make sure their kids win in life, win in school. I'm just saying, if we're doing it for them, are they really learning anything except entitlement? Far too often our kids turn into young adults who are entitled because we did so much for them. So I want to show you a couple of columns. This is a graphic that might explain the challenge of this dilemma here. Um, these two columns represent the scene that our kids are growing up in the world today. And off to the left, I've written the word scene, S-C-E-N-E, -E, because I think it aptly describes five characteristics of the world that we and our culture created. But then I'm going to show you the unintended consequences of the scene, and maybe you'll see why we not we need to correct this mistake. The letter S in scene reminds me their world is full of speed. Everything's speedy, high-speed internet access. But if I grew up in a world of speed, I can assume that slow is bad. I can't even navigate slow. The letter C in scene reminds me their world is full of convenience. But if I grew up in a world of convenience, I can assume that hard is bad. The number one thing that K-12 educators say they hear from kids today is, this is too hard. The letter E in C reminds me their world is full of entertainment, and it's in their hands now. But if they grew up in a world of entertainment, boring is bad. The letter N in C, certainly not all of them, but they grew up in a world of nurture. We coddle them and nurture them. But if they grew up in a world of nurture, uh, then risk is bad. And then finally, the last letter E, they often grew up in a world of entitlement. And if they grew up in a world of entitlement, then labor is bad. And all I'm simply saying is those words off to the right, slow, hard, boring, risk, and labor, are the very elements that help us grow up. Before we look at mistake number 12, our final mistake, let's do a quick review of the 11 mistakes we've talked about so far as we parent our children. Mistake number one, we won't let our kids fail. Mistake number two, we project our lives on them. Mistake number three, we prioritize being happy. Mistake number four, we're inconsistent. <coughs> Mistake number five, we remove the consequences of bad choices. Mistake number six, we lie about their potential and don't explore their true potential. Mistake number seven, we won't let them fight or struggle. Mistake number eight, we give them what they should earn. Mistake number nine, we praise the wrong things. 
Mistake number 10, we value removing all pain. And mistake number 11, we do it for them. All of this leads us to our final mistake, number 12. We prepare the path for the child instead of the child for the path. Now, I think almost every one of us have done this in our day today in the 21st century. We love our little kiddos so much that we want to pave the way. We want to make the road smoother and, and just make sure we remove all the obstacles so they can get what they deserve and get into Yale or Harvard or whatever it is the goal, uh, whatever the goal is. But you and I both know as we make life smoother, well, what's going to happen when we're not there to make life smoother? I just spoke at a college commencement where one of the girls in the graduating class did not win honors, but her mother had made homemade tassels for her to wear because she said, my daughter deserves the tassels. The daughter was embarrassed by this. I know a school district, a high school, uh, that did away with a grade F. They said, we don't want any of our kids to fail. We'll replace it with a U, unsatisfactory. Again, you and I both know you get into the adult world, there are failures, and we need to recover and bounce back from them. The point is, while this mistake is very well-intentioned, it is very damaging. What we need to do is we need to prepare our children for the path, whatever path lies ahead. Whatever struggle or disease or hardship comes, they are so ready because we got them ready. I bet you most of you have heard about the very famous Stanford University experiment that was done with children in the late 1950s. Young preschool-age children were given a marshmallow, and they were told by an adult, you can have this marshmallow now, or if you can wait 10 minutes and eat it later, you'll get two of them. So there was a reward for waiting. Well, the experiment was actually hilarious, and it was, it's been reconstructed many, many di different times, and you can find it on YouTube now. But the point is, many of those kids were unable to wait, and they just stuffed their mouth with a marshmallow. But some of the kids were able to wait to delay their gratification. They had been prepared to wait. What you may not know is those same children were tracked down decades later as young adults. And do you know what was discovered? Those kids at four years old that were able to wait and delay gratification were turning out to be much better adults, much better workers, had much higher SAT scores, and did much better in school than their counterparts that couldn't wait. Somehow the adults that helped them wait and struggle and go through the pain of getting ready made them ready for the adult world. So the most fun phone call I got a few years ago came from my daughter. She was working in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and she just called me and said, Dad, I just called to say thanks. I said, thanks for what? She said, everything. I said, what are you getting at? And I finally pressed her to say, I guess I'm thanking you for getting me ready. I look around me and I see all these other 20-somethings that have no clue what they're doing and they can't, they, they, they want a spring break at work and all these other things are happening. And, and she said, I just feel like you and mom got me ready. And I just wanted to call and say thanks. That call made my year. And I hope that you get a call like that for yourself. All right. <clears throat> so there are the 12 mistakes. Uh, you saw him review those. It was, uh, you know, again, I, I mentioned this last week. When data converges, you kind of got to take some consideration for it. And if you've ever, ever been around Pat Ward or if you've had one of your children in the Otter Creek uh, kindergarten and preschool, that last point that he made is, is you know, her thesis. Um, I don't know if they compared notes or how they got the content aligned like that, but it's pretty impressive. Of those 12 mistakes, which ones do you identify with or which ones kind of uh, convicted you? 
who who uh, has the first comment. Yes. The pain mistake, um, we actually had to implement that with our youngest daughter recently. Uh, she was acting up in school and stuff, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, we literally took everything out of her room. Everything. She had a bed, a dresser, and a nightstand with a lamp. And uh, she has earned her stuffed animals and her pictures wow. and her things back on the wall. But we had to make it painful, very painful, obviously, for her to be able to act right in school and get her work done and, and just do the things that we have told her all along. This, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. It, took, it took a painful act for her, a very painful act for her, because she was very upset about it. But And then she didn't want to show us either. So. Wow. Very impressive. Other mistakes or other kind of strategies that you've used? That's good. When I think of that taking the paint away, we have four sons and we joke about the fact that you have to complain for a couple of days before we'll take you to see an orthopedic doctor. Um, and our youngest son, Hank, and there are, there are di uh, disparate stories about how this actually happened, but we got a call from Dinox uh, during a youth event. That is not a good thing if you get a call from the youth minister during the youth event. Not, not good. The youth minister should be actively engaged and so your child. And he called and he said, uh, Hank has been injured very badly and you need to come. And uh, you know he's hurt his leg very badly and you need to come. And he said, can I meet you somewhere? So he and uh, Alan Walker's wife, what's her name? Sarah Walker met us at the gas station the twice daily over and Hank's leg was distorted. Okay, so he had broken both bones in his leg and we took him to Vanderbilt. And rumor has it that they were playing Ghost of the Graveyard. No. Zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. <laughs> 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 and he says he jumped down the stairs. There are differing accounts. Some say he jumped out of the balcony in, in the auditorium. Anyway, he broke his leg in two places. <laughs> the zombie did not get him. <laughs> and so uh, he's at home and he's got this incredibly long uh, you know, uh, cast on. And the doctors told him they had to go up the stairs you know, using his, on his back using his elbows. And he was having trouble doing that. And he kept kind of favoring one arm. And three days later, we discovered that in the it same was accident. Days later. Ten days later. He had broken his arm. The same accident. So uh, <laughs> we, we, we're getting better at letting them kind of enjoy some pain. <laughs> Yeah, make it up. It's just that's just the way it is. So I, I will say, I I've had to deal with this this week because um, Jake got home from Costa Rica Tuesday night. He's been gone ninety four days, I think. Yeah. And the idea is for him to come home for a few days and then go on to the next thing, keep the momentum going. He's he's made such progress with his life and. If we waited till January when the actual college semester started, we're home for six, seven weeks. Lots of time to go back into bad habits, right? Lots of time to, all my friends are at college right now. Where, who am I? What, you know, just kind of 
stop the momentum. You know, we, we don't want to do that. So um, at first they were like, Costa Rica straight to the college transition program. And I was like, oh, I really wanted to come home for just a little bit. So he's come home. We've had a great week. But <coughs> he already said, hey, Mom, do you think I can wait a little longer before I go? Well, deep down, I'm like, yes, you can wait. You can stay here. We're having such a good time. You're doing so well. But all the advice has been send him. Let him go for several weeks. Let him meet his roommate. Let him get a routine so that everything's not brand new in January. And we keep the momentum going. So we had to say, no, you're going to go. You're going to go. So we leave this afternoon. And it's going to be really hard. But it's the right thing. And so pain is hard. Pain is hard for your child. It's harder for you. I know it is. Um, but you have to see the big picture. This is the best thing. And so he'll be stronger. So I would appreciate your prayers. It's been an emotional roller coaster. So to deal with our emotions of Jay coming home this week, we, we also had to put our oldest dog down this week. Uh, and to deal with that, Catherine went to see the movie Wonder. I had no <laughs> 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 To cheer her up. I heard it was a feel-good story. Yeah. Okay, it was about a mom who homeschooled, who had a struggling child. They had to put their dog down. I was like, what is this? <laughs> The guys went to see Justice League. There was none of that reality. <laughs> uh, I was so disappointed that Aquaman did not actually talk to sea creatures. He was my favorite superhero growing up in the Justice League. We can discuss that later. But uh, uh, other mistakes that you feel like you're dealing with, as you can tell, we're still dealing with a lot of this. Uh, other mistakes or other insights that you identified with? I'm just going to add one, uh, just because it's uh, was well, from my daughter Bailey, who's you know, teaching sixth grade. But in metro schools, at least with her school system, she can't fail anybody. It doesn't matter what grade they get, she can't give them an F. And they can take the test as many times as they can to get at least a C. But even then, if they don't do that, they still get a C. So what happens is the kids just come in and they say. I don't have to do this because I'm going to get a seat. It's just really difficult to motivate those students. When the culture or the administration says it's too bad for their mental health to give them a failing grade. But in the end, you know, obviously I think it helps. <laughs> it creates some failure in life later on. So I just, that was kind of one of the things he was talking about. Yes. I know we've already shared, but uh, with our oldest, it's a little bit, this year has been interesting. Um, she's in sixth grade, so middle school, big change, and she's gone through some struggles uh, with dyslexia and ADHD and that kind of thing. So over the years, in kind of overcoming those struggles, I've helped her quite a bit, more than I think I would normally do. And there's been a lot of times where I'll sit down with her to do her homework on the projects and things like that. And, but she's overcoming a lot and doing a lot better. And this year, seeing that she's in middle school, I'm like, I need to cut the ties a little bit. And the other night, um, because I, I know what I've done in the past has not helped her, you know, in the long run. Um, and I've seen that because she, she's, we tend to come home and say like, okay, so um, can we get started on this project? We. So, um, there was an essay I found out uh, that she had to do one night, and it was 9.30, and 
she had not started on this essay. You know, when did you find out about this? What, I mean, because this is a long essay. She had known about it before Thanksgiving, and she relaxed the whole week. And I said, um, she's like, can you help me? I said, no, I can't. I said, um, I guess you need to get busy. She's like, but I've written one sentence, and I'm, you know, I just can't even think. I just, you know, I said, well, what are you going to do? Or you can get busy. And I left. <laughs> and about an hour later, she came down with it done. I mean, miraculously, she was able to do it. <laughs> but that was really hard for me because I, my thought was that, you know, what was going on in my head was she's going to be up until 3 o'clock in the morning just crying, you know, just like not being able to do it. Or she's going to get up the next morning and not have it done. And then, you know, what is that? All this stuff, but at the end of the day, it wasn't mine to do. And um, so this class has helped me. I've, there, I've been thinking about things a little bit differently. And if, as hard as it is, mm -hmm. just to kind of, it, it does work. So. Other questions or comments? I'm going to go back to one thing. Uh, by the way, this is our third son, Jake. He's appeared in the back of the room. Uh, so. Um, I'm going to go back to this. Uh, this is the overstimulating chart that we showed you. Uh, it's overstimulating for lots of different reasons, especially uh, someone who works in and around design. There's all kinds of bad things going on here. But uh, this is from J.H. Ranch. And um, I can get you a copy of this. We've, we've emailed you a copy of, of this in terms of slides. But I just wanted to walk you through it one more time because some of you have asked about some of the things that are on this chart, specifically around kind of the idea of allowance. So just to, to remind you what's going on here, uh, the folks at JH Ranch see thematically this theme of the sailing, and you're trying to get your child kind of sailing. And at first, when they're an infant and a toddler, they're in the Bay of Security. This is their metaphor, right? Bay of Security, zero to five years. And your role there as a parent is to be the caretaker. I redid these roles, if you remember, in, in a different slide. And then five to seven years, you're the cop. You're, you're watching them and you're correcting them, but they're getting a little bit further out in their, in their boat. Twelve to seven years, you're their coach. And your job there is to teach, model, encourage, and pray. Whereas uh, specifically in that five to twelve years, there's a lot of discipline going on. And then in 18 years, your job is to be the consultant where you're more in a role of listening, supporting, advising, and praying. And one of the things that's really profound is this quote here, and it goes a lot with what Dr. Tim Elmore says. He says, a father becomes successful through adversity, and then with his success, he banishes from his children's lives the very thing that made him successful. Or said differently, you know, each generation wants it to be easier for the following generations. But are we robbing them of some things? So at a high-level layout, this is how he believes the strategies should be in terms of what your roles are. And the goal is to get the child out into the sea of independence. Now, along the way, 
he talks about things related to uh, allowance and responsibilities. And so before I give those, let me give you what he believes some of the freedoms are. So at 12 years of age, he believes you should give them freedom over what music they listen to and purchase, a little bit about how they spend their money within parameters, what movies they go to and kind of give them you know, a chance to go out shopping at the mall or activities like that. At 14 years, he believes you give them some freedom on choosing their friends, choosing what friends they're going to hang out with, actually purchasing and choosing to purchase their own clothes, and then what programs they're going to watch on, on the screen. At 16 years, giving them freedom with respect to dating, use of the car, and curfew. And then at 18 years, total freedom, education, job, money, car, house, food, wife, clothes, etc. But he goes down and says there's some responsibilities with respect to earning allowance. And in that 12 years to 17 year stage, the responsibilities are reading your Bible, honoring your parents, your grades, your chores, your allowance, and sports. And he believes you start there kind of giving them 20% of their kind of living allowances. Okay, give them 20% of that. And then as they progress, give them 35% for things like you know, their musical lessons, work, clothes, life skills. And then on to 50%, including gas and insurance as they're starting to drive. And then 100% as they're moving into 18 years. It says here that 68% of college graduates are currently returning home for financial assistance. And again, we can email you a copy of this. <coughs> There's a lot going on here. He <clears throat> introduces yet another metaphor and another kind of graphic element. And that is, you know, in this Bay of Security, when you're their caretaker, the umbrella over the child is parents. As they, as they start to age, you change from parents and God to God and parents, where ultimately, as they're on their own and independent, God is kind of their umbrella and caretaker and is providing over them. Um, some of you ask about it, and, and there are no right or wrong answers. If, uh, if, if you um, um, know the Wiltshire family, uh, the Wiltshire family used to give an allowance and, and make their child, their children, buy their own socks and underwear and things like that at a very early age, just to teach them the practice. Uh, you know, the technology is such that uh, you can do some wonderful things now with a debit card and control those accounts as Catherine has tried to do with, with Hank, uh, our youngest, and then prior to that with Ben uh, and Jake, of giving them an allowance, putting it on their card, and kind of monitoring that. But the thought is you're trying to progressively get them to where there's a sense of independence. Now, the chart may not work for you, but the idea is, is we've tried to encourage you along the way. Uh, I think the the most difficult thing in parenting children is not like, not unlike running an organization, running a business, whatever, and that is to have this kind of long-term view. <coughs> Seeing things not as the tyranny of the urgent, the thing you're in right now at this stage, but seeing things and anticipating, okay, how are we gonna, how are we gonna alter our parenting style as the child ages, and what will we do it appropriately at each stage? And so that's what the purpose of this chart is. Some of you had asked about it. I just wanted to go back to it and review. 
it's a lot of information. He usually presents this over the course of multiple days. But if you ever have the chance to go to JH Ranch, they have a local weekend experience called JH Outback. Um, the camp is out in uh, very, very northern California, southern Oregon. Uh, but he introduces this to parents. He teaches this while the kids are, are um, learning their own curriculum. Questions or comments about that? I know it's a lot. So people understand a lot of I think one of the things we found is the most profound is just this change in language at the bottom, which we've shown you before. Kind of switching your mindset based on the age of the child from caretaker, cop, 5 to 12, coach, 12 to 7. It's so <coughs> tempting to extend that cop role. It's so tempting. And to, to not sense the coach role. And then the vision at 18 or thereabouts of being a consultant. And uh, candidly, it's also hard to switch at that stage too, right? Because you, you still want to be their coach or even sometimes their cop, even when they're away. And you've got to be their consultant. Uh, it's very difficult to do. Any questions or thoughts about that? Hopefully you've got this figured out better than you. Bonnie, any thoughts or reactions to that? Well, well, I'm drawn to the, that statement in the far right below, or the, the lower corner, because I think that at least it's challenging in our own family sometimes because I see that as trying to get them to independence. And I think that's incredibly important because I think that that's our parents were like good or bad, they were like push you out the door type parents. And it's like figure it out on your own and make your way. And, and to me, that's what gave, you know, gave me a lot of independence and to be able to create and think and, and, and have confidence and to you know, be in business and those sorts of things. So I, I, I agree with that, that, that that's what helped me be successful. If you call me successful, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it helped help me bring success, but when we take that away because we won't push them out of the nest because we're afraid we're going to hurt them, then we're hurting them. That's that long-term thinking. We're, we're may not, we may not hurt them in the short term, but we're hurting them long-term because they'll never get to that success point if we can't push them out and say, it's for you to, to do this. It's for you to create and to think and to you know, to be independent. Uh, and that's so hard in this generation. I think that we, we, we try to take all that adversity away because we think that's going to make them better and it's going to make them more successful. And, and in the end, it actually is the worst thing we can do because we're not allowing them to, as, as the scripture said, you know, I mean, uh, uh, that we pointed to that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope so if we never let them suffer they never have character and hope so that's kind of where I see it I think that's really important other comments or reactions yeah that last statement it's hard to for me it's just my left hand 17 and uh, it's hard <coughs> so I'm trying to think of how to balance for my own I don't want her to do it right? so, but I don't want to give her a that last 
pretty hard for me to figure that out. Because, yes, I am really a lot with the level of mine, but I'm not sure about 18. I'm, I'm kind of concerned about 18 because I'm not pushing them out at 18 either. Yeah. But at some, like at that, that college age is kind of what, when they're done with college, is what our age is in a sense. Because that says 18. I'm a little concerned about that. I'm not pushing them out at 18 and saying you're on your own. No, it, and what I guess what I'm trying to figure out is you know, how much adversity, how much adversity do you, do you want them to have? I mean, it's just, you know, for me, it was just, so overwhelming. Like I, I mean, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know it. And but man, you didn't help me to get to my mat. But at the same time, how do you find where you don't create that much struggle, but they're still on their own, still I, I don't know how many of you that and it's worth knowing to that. I think I can relate a lot to what you said about that. And I have college age all the way down to New York. But um, I left home at 16. And so I have struggled. And so then when I look at a 12 year old, I'm like, oh my goodness, they're such a baby. You want to do everything for them. But now that I have college age, I can see how that has like seriously crippled my older kids because I just wanted to make sure that everything, they didn't go through any of the struggles that I went through or any of the hardships, and we try to take everything away, and it really does cripple them. So just know that if it's hard on it, that it's okay. Bonnie teaches class to have so she could teach this class and intimidate that she's in the game. Just to sort of, you know, my experience with the extreme of um, kids being sort of cobbled and programmed and, and entitled, uh, I teach some at Vanderbilt in business school. And one of, one of my colleagues there at Vanderbilt talks about a class that he teaches for the business students where. It's fantastic. I've guessed lectures for him, and in addition to me, and much more impressive than me, he brings in the CEOs of a bunch of companies to talk to the business students, the local CEOs. He brought them all in for the business students to have a Q&A with them for 45 minutes on a Friday, one, you know, one Friday during the semester. And this is an, you know, this is an exposure for kids that's just, you, you know, how do you thank him enough for that? And what happened was the students, several of them said, you know, that was pretty great, but Fridays are kind of bad for me. <laughs> Could have been better on a Thursday, because I like to take Friday. They don't have classes on Fridays. And the guy is just like, oh my goodness. You know, how coddled are these kids? And so to me, there's just a, you know, how do you, um, you know, I was told when I teach there, don't ever, don't ever change the schedule. Whatever you tell them up front, don't change it. So I purposely changed it. I'm like, look, if, if you want to fire me from Vanderbilt, I don't do that. That's not my main job anyway. Fine. These kids need to know about the real world. Yeah. And they totally, in that setting, expect no change. Yeah. Yeah. So as we close, that you know, it's like uh, Dr. Elmore says, you know, you raise your child in this culture, and we certainly don't uh, portray ourselves as having the right answers. I think that. What we do want to kind of put up there is that um, all of these uh, 
studiers of social science are saying that, that we're creating some generational issues, right? Like you're alluding to. And what we want to do is find the balance between you know, creating a child that's self-absorbed and creating a truly independent adult. And I think that what we would just offer to you is a lot of prayer, a lot of times on your knees, and we're just uh, transparent evidence of the fact that uh, it's, we just, as much as we have tried to absorb and consume this information, it's just hard. It's hard in the, in the throes of grief. We would reiterate to you one of the objectives of this class, and that is, no matter your involvement in this church, you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. There are people in this church who are brilliant here. There are people in this church who have been through everything from drug addicted child, children to children who've taken their lives. You, you need to reach out to that community of mentors and not struggle alone with something that's challenging to you. Uh, and that, that's really the purpose of the class, is just to open up the dialogue with vulnerability about the things that we're struggling with. The fact that you're even interested, that you're picking up a tip or two, uh, you, you'll do as well or better than we have done. But that's, that's the purpose of this. And in spite of that, God has got your child. And you have to remember that God cares for your child even more than you care for your child. And so a lot of time in prayer and a lot of uh, enjoyment of the process that you're going through. But uh, you're going to be great parents. Remember, they're like horses. They smell fear. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Okay. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you.